Listener Production. Mark Brandon Chopper-Reed used to tell me that one day he'd be more famous than Ned Kelly, Australia's greatest outlaw. And today it's fair to say that Chopper is bigger than Ned. However, he was a friend of mine for more than a decade and the Mark Reed that I knew was a dismal failure as a crook. But as Chopper, he persuaded a nation he was a criminal genius. In this two-part series, we're going to separate the man from the myth he created. For his fans and even some of his detractors, this may not be easy listening, but they're going to meet the real Chopper for the first time. And I'm here to say, he punked you all. In 1991, while in Pentridge Prison in Melbourne, Victoria, Reed wrote a book, Chopper from the Inside. It was an instant bestseller, but the story was 80% fiction to be charitable. He portrayed Chopper as a kind of hero, a standover man who served up vigilante justice on drug dealers and child molesters. He was articulate, funny, ultra-violent, and at times completely unhinged. He had his ears cut off in jail just to beat the system. In 2000, the book became a movie, Chopper, starring Eric Banner, and the character was burnished into Australian culture. In the film, Chopper is asked by a reporter to describe himself. Just a bloke. Just a good bloke down on his luck. You've written a bestseller. Yeah, I know. And I can't even bloody spell. (laughs) For the rest of his life, Mark Reed earned a living from playing the character that people saw on the screen. In 2014, I wrote a book called The Real Chopper, published by Penguin Books. I discovered the reality was very different. It was easier being chopper and profitable, but in the end, he was trapped in it. Entire first print. 3,000 copies sold. No. (laughs) Except for the ones that got shoplifted. Printing a double for the next one. Dad. We're going to be rich from a bloody book. Can you believe it? (laughs) It's going to be raining bloody cash! (laughs) The Nine Network Australia's new series, Underbelly Files Chopper, goes into this less explored territory of Reed's life in two telly movies. I caught up with Aaron Jeffrey, who played the lead in the show. When I watched it, I thought to myself, Aaron here is another person playing Chopper. The first one was Mark Brandon Reed. That's right. That's right. I don't think that he ever imagined that what he created would end up being so steeply uh, embedded in the Australian psyche, like a modern-day Ned Kelly. You you couldn't have foreseen that then, but that's what's happened. Um, So, but really, you know, my research of the character I was playing, uh, when when this character was uh, brutalised as a child, then you have... um, Intimacy equals death. Fright and flight is total annihilation of the soul. Chopper was created uh, to survive. And then as we get older in life, those strategies um, no longer serve you. Hey, your name's Chopper. I suppose that's some smart-ass's idea of being ironic. (laughs) Aaron Jeffrey raises an interesting point. How would Reed survive without being Chopper? After serving 23 years in jail, all he had were his stories, even if they weren't true. I'm going to talk to a couple of Mark Reed's former managers, whose job it was to turn those myths into money. 
Let's go back to 2004. A wine merchant named Andrew Roper was sitting in a Qantas business lounge in Perth waiting for a flight back to Melbourne. Chopper Reed was sitting near him with his then-manager, a former AFL player turned actor, Mark Jacko Jackson. Chopper and Jacko had been performing spoken word shows across the country, but Roper had never heard of them until that moment. I was sitting next to these two guys, who were larger than life, and, you know, um, and people, I noticed people were coming up all the time asking for their autographs. And um, so I realised I was reading a book on, on wine at the time and then um, the Sydney flight left and Mark Jacko went and uh, there was me and Chopper sitting there next to each other. So um, separate tables but just next to each other. So I, I just asked him a question. I asked him, uh, you know, who just observed that he is obviously famous and, um, and then uh, we just started talking. Our flight was delayed for a couple of hours, so we got very drunk. He, mm. he was a guy who was looking for opportunities, looking for ways to, I guess, move into the straight world. Mm. Mm. Exactly. I think he thought I was I was pretty um, upper class um, in the sense of in a different a different platter altogether from where he was. Um, but um, he did say to me that he's always been fascinated by by wine. And um, it was always out of his kind of understanding reach and, and didn't quite understand what all the fuss was about. But um, he did like it. And uh, then he wanted to know. He wanted to know all about it. It was the beginning of a partnership between Reed and Roper that lasted four years. The day after uh, we landed from Perth, uh, I was in East Melbourne and um, it, was a, it was a cold winter day and there was a knock at the door. You he know. just turned up. He just turned up, yeah, because I'd given him my, my details of where I was and whatever. And then he was really serious about doing some business deal with me. We didn't talk about management or anything at that time. It was just purely about the wine because I suggested to him, I said, with his fame, he should be, you know, doing a, a chopper red or something, you know. And so he liked that idea. And, and um, so, yeah, we went, we went down to a winery in the Goulburn Valley and uh, hand-selected some wines. This is over the next couple of weeks. And um, we created a, a wine label, which he did the artwork for. Um, he did three drawings, which we used for the label. And the art was quite interesting. You know, it was a typical Ned Kelly with, with breasts, you know. Um, yeah, who doesn't like that? Thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. <laughs> so so yeah. I guess in, the, in, yeah. the, in those moments, you were seeing the potential of this guy. He was, he was a, a unique character <laughs> who had something to offer. Absolutely. And I realised too, you know, after a couple of weeks of, of being with him, you know, a bit here and there, he was, he was quite an intelligent character. He was not any thug by any means. You know, he, he talked sensibly. He was, he was uh, quite serious about things, you know, about life. His views on life were quite, were quite profound, you know, um, political and, and, and everything else. He had, his, he had his comments, you know, he had his thoughts. And yet, even at that stage, he yeah. was being typecast into the chopper in the movie, the wisecracking, uh, violent kind of buffoon, if you like. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And yet you were seeing that Mark Reed mm. was a bit different. Absolutely he was. Absolutely. And... His passion was really wasn't the wine as such. It was it was actually his his longingness to be involved in a company, 
we set up a business and called it uh, Reed and Jackson Fine Wine Company. But at the at the end of the day, he was so proud when we got the ASIC register and the book in from my accountant and and stuff um, to see his name as a as a director on a ASIC register. And he had the company stamp, which he loved. I believe stamp. He loved it. He he would not let that go. He used it everywhere. He he (laughs) used it as his damn signature. It was like uh, it was hilarious. The Chopper Wine was launched at Sexpo, an adult entertainment event in Melbourne. People were queuing up to take a photo, so I said to uh, Mark, "I said, well, we've got to convert this into coin." We went out and bought a Polaroid camera, and we said, "All right, if you want a photo, it's going to cost you twenty bucks." And the queue, 20 bucks? Yeah, and the queue didn't dissipate. The Is that was, right? Yeah. 20 bucks, plus we'd, you know, try and sub- flog him some wine as well at the same time, you know. I did a joint book signing with him once uh, for a book I'd put out, and he had, a, he had one of his books uh, there as well. And, like, yeah. I had, like, about two people. He had, like, 3,000. Mm, that's, <laughs> right. that's right. He said, you made a mistake, right? You're a serious journalist. I'm a freak show, all right? They'll always <laughs> turn up for the freak right. show. I said, that's okay, right. good right. advice. That's very good. Yeah. But yeah, the, yeah, so the the Reed Jackson Fine Wine Company came to a, a, a horrible, Riding horrible hot. end. The wine was attached to Mark appearing at the store. So we would schedule dates for the appearance for Mark there and there were queues down the street. In the car, we were delivering some wine to... Uh, Sutherland Fine Wines in uh, Victoria Street in um, Collingwood. And uh, Jacko was in the back seat. Mark was in the front. I was driving. We pulled up out the front. The boot was full of wine. We had uh, 10, 10 boxes of wine that they bought. And Jacko just said uh, a comment in the back saying, oh, I don't want to be lifting wine into shops. I, I didn't sign on for this. You know, you you got you should be doing that, Andrew. You know. Anyway, we loaded the wine into the into the shop and uh, came back in the car. Mark was fuming; he was furious. So uh, we got in the car, and there was an almighty argument in the car, which I just I had to get out because it was got really quite heated. And uh, Mark was in the front seat, and he was wanting to tear his throat out, basically. And Jacko was there in the back seat, you know arguing back and yelling and so I got out and walked just stood down the road a bit let him go to to his two massive egos going for it in the car and then Mark called me back in the car he said I want you to witness the sacking of Jacko so I had to sit in the car and witness the sacking of Jacko and Jacko got out and ran down the road like or walked down the road upset very upset in fact he was he was crying I think yeah so that moment you became hmm. Mark Reed's manager. That's right, at that time, yeah. Did you have a business plan? Uh, no, not really. I didn't. I didn't. Uh, it, was, it was a day-to-day or an hour-to-hour type, um, type of experience, you know. Roper's mission was to get Chopper's name on as many products as possible. First, there was the beer, Chopper Heavy. And yeah. I remember Mark coming to my house one day for a barbecue yeah. with about a dozen bottles of it under his arm. Right. And I'll never forget yeah. the label. It was like 6% or something, yeah. wasn't it? it was, yeah. And it, it was guaranteed to get your ears off. Guaranteed to get your ears off. That was a <laughs> phrase I used on it. Yeah, so. That was your line, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. There were also Chopper's Nuts to go with Chopper Heavy, and they even sold Chopper's Tats, made famous in the movie. Roper contacted a temporary tattoo maker in South Australia. I rang him up and, he, and I said, do you, do you ever get asked for Mark Chopper Reed tattoos? And he goes, do I what? 
you know, I get asked every day from, you know, it's like people e- emailing me all over the place saying, Do, can we get chopper tattoos? Roper asked his wife to draw Reed's tattoos freehand for the designs. Mark took his shirt off and she started it in his back and there was this gun handle sticking out the bottom of his uh, back of his jeans. So she's just down tools and said, no, nah, not in my house. Out you go. He went out and then he put the gun in the um, in the bin out the front um, and then he came back in and he said, look, I'll, in future, he said, any time I come around, I'll leave my gun in the bin out the front. So Good. they said, oh, that's, that's nice. <laughs> we got a four-year-old in Collingwood and he said to me, he said, how many people have you killed, Daddy? And I said, oh, I haven't killed nearly as many people as, as people imagine, right? And then I thought about it. I said, how many people have I really killed? And I, I, I well, four. I've killed, actually killed four or seven, <laughs> depending on how you look at it. I mean, because um, uh, I, I was helped out with about three, three of them, right? And if you're being helped out, you've got helpers. You can't blame yourself for killing those other three altogether, right? But I'll kill four on my own personally. Away from Melbourne, Chopper could relax and leave his gun at home. Roper organised the Chopper Heavy Tour of Queensland to support the beer and a deal he'd struck with a ringtones company. The money was rolling in and Mark had his freedom. What happened when I was in jail was the Overcoat Gang War lasted five years. Now, they, they started the Overcoat Gang War because they accused me of eating the, the, the Christmas sausage. I'd pick him up all the time from his house and it was like a breath of fresh air for him. He was He was free. He was out on the road. He was... You know, he got all excited. He was like a kid in the candy shop when he when we got on the plane. You know, um, going to somewhere, he was he was just really relaxed and and enjoying life. You know, especially when he had a purpose, like a legitimate purpose. Uh, we were going to do something to to you know for the next couple of weeks. We we're going to have we we're going to have fun and earn some money. We'd go into a you know a servo to fill up the Tarago, and um, didn't matter which town in Australia he was that recognisable. Um, there were swarms of people would come out of the out of the woodwork, you know, and um, want his autograph and talk to him. And so mm, you'd come into town mm, for these shows, and I think mm, one of the big parts of the of the night was the memorabilia auction. Mm. And I believe you'd swoop into the local Bunnings and pick up all the. Oh, that was hilarious. We'd get, we'd go into a, we'd drive into town. And we'd go into <laughs> we'd go into a Bunnings, and um, I'd I'd go up to the manager um, and just say, "Look, you know, we're going to buy all your all your little um, your hatchets <laughs> and all your axes." So we'd we'd do a deal and uh, walk out with a lot, you know, and have these guys loading these axes into the boot of the Tarago, and and you know getting Chopper to sign stuff on the way, but you know, they loved him, you know. So what was the markup on a signed Chopper hatchet? Oh, huge. A hatchet would go, um, oh, especially Mount Isa was a, was a big one. We had a um, auction there. I think they were going for about six or seven hundred dollars each. You know, and all he'd do is just sign the <coughs> sign the wooden handle. A comedian, Pommy Johnson, would warm up the crowd, and then Chopper would launch straight into his war stories. This is a story I tell the police. This is a story I tell the Supreme Court. This is a story I'm telling you, and this is a story I'm sticking to. Right? <laughs> How much would be truth? Do you think? Well, Mark would always tell me it would always be 80-20 and, and then you'd say, which one's which? And he'd go, well, take your pick, you know. So there, he was that mystical about it, but it was always 20%. 20% truth would be would be fair to say, I'd say. He felt mm-hmm. the crowd wanted those stories and the fictional stories, really, yeah. more than the truth. Absolutely. Yeah, they wanted, they wanted the fiction. 
Um, they based a lot of their interest and intrigue on the movie, of course. They wanted Eric Banner. They, they did, they did, uh, basically. That's, that's true, that's true. There were moments of farce, like when Roper booked Chopper in Mackay in a hotel full of bikies. We happened upon that weekend to be uh, a reunion of, of, of a famous uh, bikie war that happened up there um, between the Odin's warriors and the rebels. <clears throat> Mark got a bit, yeah, he was a bit concerned about it, he, he, you know, especially with the rebels type of thing. He, he didn't like the rebels that much. We were standing at the back of the stage in, in this uh, club in Mackay and, uh, yeah, it, it was, uh, we were working out our escape, escape route, basically. Mark, Mackay. Uh, well, a good night was had by all. <laughs> we, we beat a hasty retreat out of, out of Mackay. <laughs> Why did we, we, got why did we have out. to go out? We got the fuck out of Dodge. Why did we have to get out quickly? Because oh, Odin's warriors were there. <laughs> they were. And they were planning fucking, planning fucking... Evil thoughts. Evil thoughts in our direction. They were, they were. And paranoia of the locals. Ah, oh, weren't they paranoid? Yeah. Anyway. And I, I believe there was a comment from Andrew Roper as well. What was that? <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Roper. This is the, the quote of Andrew Roper. I... I I think this place is a, some sort of trouble spot. <laughs> some sort of trouble spot. Roper's footage also shows Reed's work ethic. Well, if employees let me, let's mark right here. And up at dawn for media interviews. <laughs> let me in, hot FM. And coming in after seven o'clock, very special guest, Mark Chopper Reed, joining us in the studio. AKA Uncle Chop Chop. But right now, this morning, we're having a chat about what have you had stolen? Mark was living the dream as Chopper on the road, but at home, his problems were waiting. In the first year alone, Chopper earned $200,000, but he was spending even faster. He would, he would help anyone out that he could, especially the old, the old crims that, he was, uh, that were doing it tough, you know, um, out of prison. He'd have, a, he'd have a list of their names and... Um, you know, they they hit him up all the time for for rent and and uh, things they couldn't pay and stuff. But uh, yeah, it was basically after every show, the Queensland tour, for instance, it was the next morning was spent visiting banks to deposit cash into these guys' accounts, as well as buying himself a brand new big gold chain. You know, he racked up bills galore, and. Um, He'd go. He'd get a credit card and then uh, sent to his home, of course. And then he'd go out and spend spend the limit that day. Roper discovered his client was a regular user of heroin and speed. He found himself managing Mark Reed's addiction and keeping it secret from the public. There was one <clears throat> rainy, wintry night where you <clears throat> saw, I guess, the rock bottom. <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, it was actually in. Um, it was in North Melbourne. It was at the Comics Lounge in North Melbourne, and. Um, we did a weekly series every Tuesday night, and it was a uh, Ask Uncle Chop, and um, they'd have other comedians in there, <coughs> stand-up guys, and then uh, then Mark would come on, and and the crowd would basically ask vetted questions. Uh, all right, well, if you had three wishes, what would they be, and why? Three wishes. Well, do we thought I'd wish we left here back? <laughs> 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 one, you're right here back. That's two. <laughs> And you wish to have them off again? Uh, no, that'd be fucking stupid. I'm not. Uh, oh, no, no. <laughs> I wish I had them 20 fucking three years and all months I didn't get in jail back again. What would you do with them? I fucking live on them. <laughs> Where do I get a good amount of coke before it's jumped? <laughs> 20 story of the Collywood Commission place. <laughs> 
I would always take him home and drop him to his door and make sure he got in. But this night he said, um, just drop me down the road uh, near the near the hotel in Johnson Street. So I did that. Um, about 2.30 in the morning, I get a call from Margaret, who was, uh, was quite worried and said, uh, where's Mark? So I went and picked her up and we went trawling the streets looking for him. Um, and we went to a particular disused hotel in Johnson Street and... Um, she, she uh, a couple of windows were open up the top and uh, she just stood in the street screaming, uh, asking for him to get out and come down and, and uh, you know, and she, she seemed to know people in there because she was calling out different people's names and saying, you know, bring him out, you know, he's in there and all this type of stuff and, you know, the next morning it was, it was found that he was found basically passed out in the street. I mean, dead. Mm, basically. They had to revive him in St Vincent's, yeah. I said, well, what we should do, Mark, is uh, get you first cleaned up into, um, you know, some rehab centre, which we had organised, and he was all compliant with it. He was happy to do it. We were going to form a charity and call it the Chopper Reed Foundation, and the idea was, and we had already landmarked some, some places in and around Collingwood and Abbotsford and Richmond to uh, create some gyms, to basically help the kids coming out of prison and Chopper was going to be there to mentor these young kids. I mean, this couldn't have been good for the Chopper Reed brand. That's right. And this is where it becomes, it, it, it became a problem. Uh, Margaret got wind of it and this one particular day um, in my home in East Melbourne, she rang me and, and everyone was there and she rang me and she screamed blue murder at me. She said, I've just heard, found out about this charity thing, you know. It's going to ruin the whole thing. You've got to stop it. I'm not, I'm not going to let it happen. Because key to that was mm. Mark Reed going into rehab and demonstrating his frailty, Correct. his Correct. humanity. Correct. And There's this- a chain of what we were going to do to make this happen. And uh, it was going to be good for him and it was going to be good for his whole life story, so to speak, you know. So did you get a sense then of... Mark being imprisoned <laughs> within the Chopper Reed alter ego. Absolutely, absolutely. He was trapped in that. And what was clearly said to me, Margaret did say to me that, um, you know, we, we don't want the public to know that he's a drug, he's drug dependent, you know, because that's going to ruin everything because half of his message was he used to bash up drug dealers and, you know, deal with the scum, basically. But in fact, he was... He was addicted himself and he, yeah. was, he was a taker himself, yeah. By 2008, everything was falling apart for Reed. So eventually, the ATO, the credit card companies, the yeah. banks all came yeah. calling. Correct. And the only option was bankruptcy. That's right. Margaret called me up and, and we, went, we went around there and sat in her kitchen there and um, they'd just renovated their house and um, we um, sat there, I remember that day, and, and she had all these letters of demand um, and uh, basically said, well, you're his manager, deal with it. Yeah. So um, so I basically tried to deal with it. And the only advice I could get was through a lawyer friend of mine, um, a commercial lawyer. And uh, we went down there and sat, me and Mark sat in his boardroom and laid it on the table and said, where do we go from here? You know, there's $80,000 worth of credit card bills. Um where do we go? What do we do? Bankruptcy. 
Yeah. So, so there ended Mark's career as a company director as well. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, all, uh, it all finished from there. Eventually, Reed sacked Roper as his manager. He also sent me a letter basically sacking me as his manager. Um, and I've still got that letter that day and I read it from time to time and I just shake my head, just think, you know, what could have been, could have been quite an, a good a good outcome, um, just petered into nothing. Yeah. In the second part of The Real Chopper, we'll follow Reed through the final years of his life, right up to the last picture show where he made an unreliable confession to at least four murders. The producer was Sarah Grinberg. Mixing, editing and theme music by Matt Nikolic. Executive producer, Grant Tothill. This has been a Real Crime production. Written and produced by Adam Shand. Listener.